Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The just shall live by faith. These are times we have to trust God, maybe in ways that we haven't had to trust Him before. We never had to worry about certain things before. And perhaps we're going into a time where we're going to have to trust God in ways that we didn't have to trust Him in time past. The just shall live by faith. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian resumes his teaching on the book of Habakkuk. Now here's Pastor Brian. He's going to put himself in a place to listen to the Lord, to hear what God will speak. So he's using language like he's going to go up in his tower. He's probably not going to go up in a tower, but it would be like a watchman going in a tower and watching and waiting. That's what the prophet is going to do. He's going to watch and he's going to wait until God speaks to him so that he can then speak that word. And so here is the word. The word or the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. So first of all, write this down on a tablet so that those who read it can run. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries or though it it's delayed, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. So the Lord is saying, this, this vision that I've given you, this, what I'm telling you I'm going to do, it's going to come. So write it down so everybody can see what is coming and, they can, and the word can be spread throughout the land. Write it down It's going to happen even though it delays, it will happen. Now, if this prophecy was given in the latter time of Manasseh's reign, there was still a considerable amount of time before the final judgment came upon Judah. Because after Manasseh, I mentioned that Ammon came to power. But he only reigned two years. And then after him, Josiah came. And we're going to talk about him a little bit more in a minute. But Josiah was perhaps the most righteous of all the kings of Judah. And some amazing things happened under under his reign. But then once Josiah died, and he reigned for 38 years, and once Josiah died, there was a series of, you know, kings that came to power until finally the, the final king, Nebuchadnezzar, came and, and conquered Judah, just like God said. But it, it was, you know, a considerable amount of time before all of this was ever actually fulfilled. But the Lord says, Even if it tarries, wait for it, 
because it will surely come. It will surely come. And then he says, behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. So God is giving Habakkuk the way he's going to, he and any others are going to be able to endure, to persevere, to survive this judgment that's going to come. How are they going to do that? The just shall live by faith. They're going to have to trust God through this time. And now, there's a a lot to be said about this statement here. Um, But first of all, we'll just keep it in the context itself. The just shall live by faith. So all of those who are going to go into this season of judgment are only going to make it by trusting God. Trusting in themselves, they'll never make it. The proud, his heart is lifted up within him. He is not upright, but the just shall live by faith. So they're going to have to trust God in the midst of all the craziness that is going to come eventually upon them. And let me just say that Judah is not the only nation to ever be judged. There were many nations before it that were judged. There were nations after it that were judged. Um, There are nations that are yet to be judged. And what, what do we do when we find ourselves in a place that is being judged? How do you navigate that? The just shall live by faith. You, you have to trust God. And, you know, it, it's interesting. I think, I've said this before, and I do think that we as a nation, I think we are under a judgment. There are many things that point to us being under a judgment. And you have to understand, of course, that whether it's individual people or groups of people or nations, there's only so much sinning that one can do before a judgment will fall. That's just a a biblical reality. And so as we live in a nation that is not, you know, any longer just sort of passively in unbelief. But now we're at a place where there is an aggressive unbelief. There is a shake your fist to the heavens kind of an attitude that we are seeing in so many places in our uh, public life these days. And I mean, you know, we've seen it. We've seen it recently with, you know, this whole thing. I was gone when it all happened, but the um, the seeming certainty of the of the overturning of the Roe versus Wade decision from 1973 that legalized abortion, and the fact that you know this this looks like it, it actually might be turned over. 
and put back in the hands of the states instead of the federal government, unfortunate. And I mean, the, the, the insanity that has broken out over this. Yeah. To the point of people, you know, it, it used to be, and it wasn't even that long ago, where people were still trying to argue that well, this is a fetus, it's not really a human. And it's, you know, that was kind of the argument. Now it's just like, oh no, this is a human being and we're gonna kill this human being because we have a right to do it. That's our reproductive right. And we don't care what anybody says about it. And if you try to get in our way, we're going to harm you as well. I mean, that, that's what's happening right now. So, so this is like an aggressive revolt against the rule of God and against the order of of life that God has established. You see this with abortion. You see this with the radical trans activism and things like this. I mean, people are being, their lives are being threatened if if they suggest that, you know, men can't actually be women. You know, it's crazy. But I think about it, it, it's really, it's a revolt against God's order. It's a revolt against the created order. And I don't know that there's been any other time in human history, except maybe at the time of Noah, where something this radical has happened. You know, where we're just defying the creator and denying that there is any created order. And so as, as we see the world sinking deeper and deeper into this and seeing the judgment that accompanies these kinds of things, what are we to do? What do we do? Well, this is the... This is the short answer. The just shall live by faith. These are times we have to trust God, maybe in ways that we haven't had to trust him before. We never had to worry about certain things before. And perhaps we're going into a time where we're going to have to trust God in ways that we didn't have to trust him in time past. The just shall live by faith. Now, the just shall live by faith. This exact statement is repeated three times in the New Testament, Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews. Paul uses this as his basis for his preaching of the gospel and for communicating how it is that people are made right with God. How is a person made right with God? A person is made right with God by faith. The just shall live by faith. And Paul takes this one verse. It's so interesting. He just takes this one verse right here, and he doesn't even necessarily take it in its context. He just takes it as a a statement, and then he takes it over, and he applies it to the whole doctrine of salvation. But the reason he does that is because 
this is encapsulated what you actually see in the entirety of Scripture. You know, the confusing thing at the, in the New Testament period was people were thinking that you were saved by law-keeping. You were saved by being part of the Jewish covenant, perhaps, circumcision and law-keeping and those kinds of things. And Paul was, was one who God raised up to make clear that that wasn't the case. But what Paul was able to show is that everyone who's ever been made right before God was made right by faith, not by anything else. There, there was never a, a, a person in all of history that was justified by anything except faith. And, and Paul goes into detail. He goes back to Abraham, who was the first person who it was said regarding him that his faith was counted for righteousness. But what was said about Abraham, his faith was counted for righteousness. You could say it about Moses. You could say it about David. You could say it about anyone and everyone all the way along because Obviously, when you look at their lives, you can figure out pretty quick, okay, they weren't saved by (laughs) being perfect because none of them were perfect. So they couldn't have been saved by law-keeping. And of course, in Abraham's time, there was no law to keep. So Paul takes and he develops his whole doctrine of salvation and he uses this one verse. And, and this one statement then became, um, later on in history, back in the um, 16th century in Europe, the Protestant Reformation, this statement was, this was the word that sparked the Reformation. This is what Martin Luther discovered himself. He who was trying to please God by adhering to all of the different works that the church had set forth. So I was in Rome, and I'd never been here before, and I've read about this in history, and Martin Luther is the connecting point here. When you read Martin Luther's story, part of the story is he goes to Rome, and in Rome, there are these steps Uh, that have been placed in a church that were brought from Jerusalem by the mother of Constantine. And this church now uh, has these steps in it. Steps like stairs is what I'm talking about. Stone stairs. They were exported from Jerusalem from the palace of Caiaphas. And according to Helena, who was the mother of Constantine, these were the very steps that Jesus would have walked up after he was tried in the house of Caiaphas. He would have walked up these steps on his journey on the Via Della Rosa on his way to Calvary. So she took these steps back to Rome. And then a church was built around them And pilgrims from all over the world for many centuries now would go to Rome and they would would 
climbed the steps on their knees, offering prayers all the way up in the hope of attaining forgiveness of sins. I just saw it with my own eyes. I was there. And I saw the people going up the steps on their knees. And I thought, wow, this is the very place that Luther went up. So Luther, like all other Catholics at the time, they were thinking that we're saved by good works. Jesus died on the cross, but we still sin. So uh, we need to make a contribution by doing good works, that sort of thing. But Luther has this awakening. He has this moment where he's reading Romans. And in Romans, Paul, like I said, he, he quotes this. And, and uh, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek or the Gentile. And then he says this, for in it, In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. So Luther, he he has this epiphany. He has this moment where all of a sudden he realizes that the gospel, the righteousness of God is brought to us through the gospel. A righteousness that we could never attain ourselves is God's gift to us by faith. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we believe in the sufficiency of that for the forgiveness of sins, and that's how we're saved. And so Luther has that experience himself, and he begins to write about this and to communicate this, and this is how what we know today as the Protestant Reformation, this is how it really began. But it was through these few words here, the just shall live by faith. As we carry on here in the second chapter, he's going to pronounce, like I said, there's a kind of a double thing, a, a judgment on Judah, and but then also ultimately a judgment upon the Babylonians who are judging Judah. And I think probably projecting out even to the end of time, there's probably something in here. Uh, but look at verse five for a second. Indeed, because he transgresses by wine, he is a proud man, and he does not stay at home because he enlarges his desire as hell. And he is like death and cannot be satisfied. He gathers to himself all nations and he heaps up for himself all peoples. He's talking about the Babylonian king. He's, he's, he has an insatiable appetite for power. And so he's gobbling up the nations. But look at, look at verse 13. It says, Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts? that the people's labor to feed the fire and nations weary themselves in vain. And then look at verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So what he's saying is that the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar 
and any other tyrant or any other ruler who is laboring to gain power over the nations, put themselves in the place of of having power over the nations, what the prophet is saying, what the Lord is saying through him, is that it's all in the end, it's all in vain. Because in the end, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So it doesn't matter how much territory one conquers. It doesn't matter how many people one has dominion over. It doesn't matter uh, who attains to the greatest position ever held in history as far as dominion goes. It's all going to slip through everyone's fingers because the Lord is going to rule. It's like the, the second psalm where the nations rage and the people are plotting a vain thing. The kings of the earth are gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah saying, let us cast their bonds away from us and let us cut their cords off of us. And basically they're saying, let's overthrow God. And the very next verse says, he that sits in heaven will laugh. Now, listen, this is the history of the world. (laughs) The the history of the world is people rising up and dominating and oppressing other people with a goal of being the greatest ruler of all time. And you can just, you know, take a walk through history and you find it over and over and over and over and over. And not just in ancient times. This is the history of the 20th century. This is what we went through in the 20th century with uh, communism and all of the different manifestations of that and fascism and all of these things. This was the 20th century. And it's the 21st century. It's a man saying, we have a right to that land and those people. And this is how most of these wars have always started. So again, not to belabor the point, but verse 14, I just love this verse. It's like a promise. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It's that simple. This is where it's headed. This is where it's ended. doesn't matter. You can get together and you can strategize and you can put all of the the forces of of all of the kingdoms of the world together conspiring against God to set up the ultimate kingdom of man and guess what the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord God's going to crush it all February, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled The Imperfect Disciple, Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together by Jared C. Wilson. We live in a world where even Christians are enamored by those who call themselves influencers and leaders who are striving to build their platforms. But as the world focuses its attention upon how to become influencers and leaders, Jared C. Wilson will bring you back to the place of the priority of learning to follow Jesus. 
Have you become frustrated with the promises of experienced Christian growth if you just knew the five things that would help or the next five steps to take, only to find you're still in a place of defeat? Are you ready to experience Jesus in a way that's gospel-centered? Are you ready to bring your messiness to Jesus? Well, in his book, The Imperfect Disciple, Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together, Jared C. Wilson will help you understand true discipleship and what it means to follow Jesus by the grace of God. You will find freedom from the to-do list discipleship, and you will be encouraged by the realities of what Jesus has already done. Discipleship is essential for spiritual growth and following Jesus. So if you want help demystifying discipleship so you can experience what it means to follow Jesus, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order The Imperfect Disciple, Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together by Jared C. Wilson. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Habakkuk. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.